Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by Green Branch Publishing. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Cheryl Toth, and also in the virtual studio today is Mike Sakopoulos. Hi, everyone. Tothy, are you a Yelper? Mike, actually, I'm a huge Yelper. I've been using Yelp since, I think, back to 2007. It's my go-to for looking up darn near everything because I love the geolocation feature. And yes, I submit reviews to Yelp as well as TripAdvisor, Amazon. I love submitting reviews as well as reading them. Wow. Okay. I admit I'm not a, a Yelper but I am a bit of the, uh, the classic free rider. I look at the other people's reviews. I don't add any myself, but, but I, do make, I do make use of them. Well, so you're a voyeur. Um, I've been called worse. <laughs> you're an online voyeur. Well, you know, in addition to writing the reviews, I definitely like you. I love to use them. In fact, it's interesting because I am, uh, I've been shopping for a record player. You know, those are the latest thing now. We're going back to vinyl. So I'd been shopping for what's the best record player. And I've been reading a lot of reviews over the last week. And I did just pull the trigger on, on one of those. But yeah, they can be very helpful. And um, I, that's why I'm glad we're talking about them today. About well, you're, online reviews. You're, you're right. We are, we are going to be talking about online reviews and how they impact medic, the medical community. Uh, Tothi, do you know any practices that are concerned about their online reputation? Yes, um, I hear this all the time, and I think they're very uh, smart to be. Um, but I do want to make one comment about that. I kind of draw the line at those who are uh, concerned about it and those physicians who think they can, you know, draw up a lawsuit for one bad review or the physicians who think it's okay to delete bad reviews, physicians or practice leaders, honestly. Um, no other profession gets to do that. So why should physician practices get a hall pass? I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this one. Uh, I've got to say, and, and I know that my fellow members of the bar may not like to hear this, but the idea of someone gives you a bad review, so you immediately call the lawyer and launch the lawsuit is a very bad idea. Mm -hmm. It's expensive and counterproductive because all it does is turn a big spotlight on the review. So we're going to be talking about strategies with our guests today that can, can deal with these things in a much more uh, productive and less expensive uh, way. But I'm glad that you brought that up. And I'm also glad that you're uh, strategically in line with me on this, uh, this thinking, Toby. Very good. Very good. Because, um, you know, I was looking at some data and I saw that 84% of people trust online reviews as much as they trust friends these days. So this is something that practices really need to be concerned about and do well, think strategically and do well and do right. Um, Cause that is an off the chart number. And I've also seen studies. Um, you and I were talking about one before the show about the one star increase on Yelp can change a business's overall sales five to 9%. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, a absolutely. Even a simple moving from a three, 3.5 to a four star rating on Yelp has been shown to uh, provide a 19% increase in the chance of a restaurant being booked during uh, peak hours. Wow. These kind of studies are just amazing, right? Just for a half a star on Yelp, that's the kind of difference that it, uh, that it makes. So you can understand why physicians and practices are uh, concerned. They know that people are looking at these. 
That's right. Um, and so switching us over from all of this great consumer data over to healthcare, recent studies show that almost 50%, so 48% of consumers would consider going out of network for a physician who has a more favorable review than to an in-network doctor that doesn't have as much of a favorable review. So obviously that means that people are willing to pay more for their care simply because somebody has a better online review or reputation. That is a powerful statistic. Um, <clears throat> one that's replicated when we talk about potential patients uh, going online and looking at reviews and ratings, right? I mean, this is definitely key for practices with these kind of numbers and these statistics out there. We cannot uh, ignore online uh, reputation. Yep. There's wisdom in the masses, as they say. And frankly, that's the reason Wikipedia exists, right? Statistically, that seems to be uh, seems to be true. But I've got to tell you that when I'm <clears throat> strolling through Walmart late at night and look at my fellow shoppers, the thought of them directing me towards medical care is simply something I just don't feel real comfortable with. Yet I know uh, what is going on in the online community really does provide a value. So I think we need to call in a, an expert on this one, Tothi. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, we do need to call in an expert, and you did. And our listeners are going to get a lot out of your interview today with Dr. Jeff Siegel. I know that I did. He's a neurosurgeon and an attorney, and he really knows his stuff. Okay, he's clearly an overachiever, right? Dr. Siegel <laughs> has a, a firm e-merit that addresses online reputation and reviews. We will be speaking with him today about the practical realities of patient reviews and also the legal implications of moving forward with securing patient reviews, where the pitfalls are, and where the opportunities lie. Uh, I hope you will stay with us and enjoy this episode of Sound Practice. I would like to introduce Dr. Jeffrey Siegel. Uh, Dr. Siegel is a neurosurgeon by training. He also has obtained a law degree, a classic overachiever, and has started a firm of medical justice that helps deter meritless suits against fellow physicians. And he also has a firm, eMerit, which deals with online reputation and online ratings, which is the subject of our conversation today. Welcome. Hey, Mike, thanks uh, for having me, and also appreciate the introduction. I think the take-home message of the introduction is that I have rip-roaring and florid attention deficit disorder. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about um, online reputation for, for medical practices and, and, and providers. How did you become interested in this space? Well, in a sense, we just kind of fell into it. Candidly, I hadn't given much thought to online reputation because I had assumed over time that a doctor's reputation was local and confirmed mostly by his fellow patient or the patients that he or she treated. Um, also, friends and family and referring doctors. That's, that is what I defined as reputation. But interestingly, about, about 10 years ago, <clears throat> one of our clients uh, in medical justice said that uh, while he was being sued for what he perceived to be a frivolous reason, 
He was also getting slammed on the internet. The patient had set up a website called MySurgeryNightmare.com. And this was actually right at the beginning of online review sites, or maybe there weren't online review sites. I can't recall. But the patient had set up her own website. And so when you Google the doctor's name, that's what showed up, a bunch of before and after pictures, you know, showing her in um, an unflattering light. Um, and... You know, she thought that somehow the doctor had done a poor job. Actually, the doctor had done an okay job, but the patient was um, had set out to to prove her point using um, whatever means necessary to do that. And because the doctor didn't have much of an online presence, when you Googled his name, this site, MySurgeryNightmare.com, would show up. Now, interestingly, he had sued her for defamation. Uh, which is very difficult to do. And anytime someone says that they want to sue someone for defamation, I try to explain what they're into. It is a long, expensive process with a capricious outcome. There are times that it's appropriate to do, but more often than not, there are better ways to, to handle the problem. But in any event, he sued her. This went up to an appellate uh, court in California, and they ruled the doctor was a public figure because he had a website. And because of that, the standard that he would need to meet, the threshold that he would need to surpass, had not been met, and he failed. So this was an eye-opener to me how a doctor's business could be, um, could be influenced by virtue of what one person was saying online. So that was the first interaction um, with my even thinking about, <clears throat> excuse me, online reputation. The as wait, wait, these this, online, this sounds like this, this sounds like yeah. a total nightmare on both sides, right? I mean, it was truly a surgical nightmare <clears throat> for both the patient and, and apparently the, the physician. All the way through the appellate court, this had to have been horrifically expensive and time-consuming. It, it right? almost certainly was horrifically expensive, and after he had spent all of this money going forward, the outcome was, you know goose egg, got nothing out of it. It was a, yes, it was definitely a disappointment. In fact, it was an eye-opener to the doctor. I think he said, had he known what he was getting into, he never would have gone down that route. And um, that brings me to something that I've got to bring up early in this conversation. <clears throat> Excuse me. Something known as the Barbara Streisand effect. Can I spend a couple oh, minutes talking about the Barbara Streisand absolutely, effect? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, tell us about the Barbara Streisand effect. So everybody knows who Barbara Streisand is. She's a magnificent singer with a wonderful voice. She also turns out to, you know, to be somewhat private in her um, in her personal life. So, um, oh God, over a decade ago, maybe closer to 15 years ago, and, and people should look this up um, by googling the Barbara Streisand effect. It's it's the details are are pretty interesting. Anyway, the state of California commissioned a researcher to <clears throat> create a website that inventoried on uh, inventoried on on the internet coastal properties in California, and I think they were aerial aerial views of coastal property, and not a, as you can imagine, not a particularly popular website. But I think it was a research project, <laughs> and, and embedded in that um, website. Uh, was an aerial photo of Barbara Streisand's palatial estate, you know, a beautiful estate. Well, Barbara Streisand got wind of this and didn't like that, you know, her her digs were available online from the air for anyone to view. 
Now, it turned out that at the time that she found out about this, less than 10 people had actually accessed the website. And, and her, she and her lawyers were um, within that bucket of people who had accessed it. So nobody knew about it. No one saw it. Well, this, this would not stand. Barbara Streisand said, hey, I'm Barbara Streisand. I want this off. I want my private life and my personal life back. So she ended up threatening a lawsuit Then actually did sue the owner of the website who told her to pound sand. He probably didn't say it precisely like that, but that was the implication. And this started a lawsuit. Um, Barbara Streisand lost. But more interestingly, um, this became a public news story. Barbara Streisand is suing a you know, website um, owner for, her, for the aerial footage of her palatial estate. Well, whereas previously there were only 10 people who actually had eyeballed the, um, you know, the, uh, the website, now there were approximately um, well, hundreds of thousands of people that had downloaded. So this became known as the Barbara Streisand effect when taking legal action to prevent a particular outcome online has the, <clears throat> has the untoward effect of actually amplifying what you didn't want to have happen in the first place. Put a different way, <clears throat> if you sue someone, that becomes a new story and likely will create a bunch of problems online. So that's the Barbara Streisand effect. Um, oh, which boy. goes back to why I tell people, you know, you really should think twice about suing someone for defamation because you end up, you may end up making the problem worse. So that was also going on. And then finally, the final thing that um, led me to be interested in in online reputation was a study that I uh, I performed, did it with um, with a number of researchers, including you. But this was. Um, Designed, we did it to prove the hypothesis or falsify the hypothesis that what patients were seeing online with online reviews were things that didn't matter. When I say didn't matter, they weren't related to safety or outcomes, things that would matter to me. So, um, so what do I mean by, uh, by things that don't matter? I'm talking about the softer aspect of a clinical practice, like bedside manner, communication, parking, money, wait times, etc. Things that, of course, matter, they just don't matter as much. You know, if you're dead or you have a horrible complication, does it really matter that you couldn't find any parking? Well, of, co of course not. So my thinking was that that was what people were actually posting online. <clears throat> so we ended up getting a list of the best and worst surgeons for three surgical procedures. By best and worst, I mean clinical outcomes and patient safety. And um, we were blinded as to which surgeons were in which bucket and had some interns go out to the internet to see what patients were saying about, about these doctors. And when the study was unblinded, it turned out that I was mistaken. The hypothesis was falsified. And the conclusion was that patients were actually pretty good at determining the things that matter. Yeah, of course, they were talking about uh, bedside manner, communication, and, uh, and money, but they were also talking about clinical outcomes and safety. But, but in any event, um, the, the conclusion was if, if indeed patients are pretty good at determining whether a doctor is a good doctor or a bad doctor, why be defined by two angry people with a megaphone? You should be defined by... Um, scores, if not hundreds, of patients, because the average doctor sees, you know, one to three thousand patients a year. So that was the beginning of Emerit. Emerit was a way to capture reviews, capture feedback, capture surveys at the point 
of service. Excellent. So one of the takeaway messages from, from this seems to me that litigation is not a good idea when moving into online reputations, it, at least as a general uh, strategy for dealing with, with problems. Would you agree with that? I would agree with it. I think there are so many simpler ways to deal with, um, you know, management of negative reviews or an online, um, you know, storm. If if what I just said is true, and I, I truly believe it's true, most of your, you know, most of your patients probably are supportive of who you are and what you do. The problem, of course, is that when you ask them to go home and post a review, we'll talk a little bit more about the different ways to capture a review. Because they're happy, uh, they have gone home and they've moved on. They're distracted. They're like you. They're like me. If you've fixed their problem, solved it, uh, the request, of course, generates head nodding up and down in your office. Of course, doctor, I'd be happy to go home and write a review. They just don't do it. Um, those who are unhappy are more likely to find the time to do it. Um, so there are several ways doctors can ask patients or at least try and promote um, capturing reviews so they're defined by a more representational uh, sampling, not defined by just two or three people. First is just ask them. And if you do, the likelihood of you getting a response goes down into the single digits. I mean, it's very inefficient. And if your practice is doing that as the sole way to capture reviews, it becomes demoralizing because you don't get any and your staff will stop asking for them. So the next thing that you could do would be to print a, a card and give it to the patient and say, look, here is the website. Just type this in, go home, write a review. So the, you, know, you have removed one of the barriers to entry, one of the frictions associated with your patient taking action, but still paying the butt. The patient has to remember where the card is. They need to um, want to take action and then type it in, not get distracted. <clears throat> You're still looking at single digit um, um, uptake rates on that. More efficient, but still amazingly inefficient is the um, emailing, emailing a link to the patient. So here the patient needs to do a little more than open their email and click the link, takes them right to the website. But still they have to, um, you know, they have to perform work. You know, they're getting inundated by lots of reviews they or lots of requests, um, including requests for reviews from Delta and Sears if they still exist and so on and so forth. If Sears still exists at the time this, this podcast gets uh, published. But... Um, but I digress. Uh, Apologies. It, 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 sadly, um, that that may be true because they're in the midst of. I know. I like Sears. So it is unfortunate. Yeah. So yeah, it is too um, bad. At one time, Sears did everything. They actually made homes or houses and and electric cars. And had they been widely successful continually, they probably would have entered into the online reputation management business. But no, not that's not a conversation for today. So anyway, in a, way, um, question, in a way, they're a victim of the online uh, world, right? Uh, yeah, yes, they and, are, and whatnot. So, um, but but onward. So you're describing different ways, and and some are, are more efficient than others, but we're still not at the level that we need to be. Uh, to no, all still efforts, inefficient. Right? They're all still inefficient, and because they're inefficient, because you don't see the outcome, the results from your effort, even if it's a modest effort it becomes depressing and demoralizing. And your staff, if they see nothing happens, 
will stop doing it and more likely will resist and fight you on it, saying, why do something? They're busy. They don't have the time. And they'd be right. So the final way to do it is what we, we came upon and created and both promoted is the eMerit platform, which captures reviews at the point of service when the patient's there. So they, you don't say, hey, look, will you please give me a testimonial? The question you're asking, if you've got a couple minutes, would you be kind enough to give me your feedback, your honest feedback? And 99% of patients will say yes unless they're in a hurry. You can give them the iPad with the survey in the exam room, in the waiting room, on the way out. Every workflow is different. And um, we certainly work with uh, different practices to figure out what is the ideal workflow to ask this. If, if the patient's going to be in the waiting room for 45 minutes just looking at their watch and, you, and they have a pre-existing relationship, why not give them the iPad while they're waiting and can answer the questions to at least burn some time off the clock? So um, point of service matters a lot. And... Um, the reviews are captured and uploaded to the dominant review sites found on page one or page two of a Google search. And so in short order, instead of being defined by two people, you're defined by lots of people. So when you get the inevitable negative review, that's okay. It's not the end of the world. It is buffered and balanced by the larger collection. And if you're doing a good job and your patients like what you do, your general online reputation will be quite positive. Well, let, let's talk about what I imagine you, you hear from time to time, and I certainly uh, get this when discussing things with, with practices, is I, I can't give my front office staff one more thing to do. They're so busy. Won't this take a lot of time? So maybe talk about the, the, the time commitment involved in this, because it, it sounds like there, there could be some, but, but tell me what um, how does this work from the from the viewpoint, the vantage of uh, of the practice? The time commitment <clears throat> is absolutely modest. Um, really, it is little more than just saying, "Look to the patient." By the way, would you be kind enough to give me your feedback? You can do it on the iPad. It's self-explanatory. So there, in the space of two sentences, once you've handed the patient the iPad, you can walk out of the room. So it takes. 10 seconds, maybe 15 <clears throat> seconds to, um, to get the ball rolling. Now, the thing about work is that there's an upside to this. Um, if, you know, if, you're, if your practice has a solid reputation and you're doing great work, what you likely will see is a bucket of thank you notes every day, which is a positive reinforcement. This is rewarding to get. If your staff sees comments which says, you know, Dr. Spiegel saved my life. And by the way, a special shout out to, to Joan for being there from beginning to end. That's like sugar. I mean, it's awesome to get that. You know, more often we're focused on stuff that happens, maybe, maybe not badly, but, you know, the problems. But here you've got the upside. Who wouldn't want to get a bucket of thank you notes every day? So it is an immensely rewarding very positive and self-affirming. Um, for the practices that have implemented it, the vast majority have found that the friction cost of getting it implemented is minimal and the difficulties associated with just keeping it up and running are nil. And, you know, it really is a self-sustaining program. But from time to time, you've, you've got to have some bad reviews that will that will flow in. Nobody's perfect. And if you're handing out the, the iPad and people are giving reviews, you should 
anticipate that occasionally there's going to be something negative. What what do you do about that, and what are your thoughts on negative online reviews? Right. So everybody, every business, every institution gets negative reviews. The public gets that. The public knows you can't make 100% of people happy. I would actually argue that having an occasional negative review is better than zero negative reviews. Why? Because having nothing but five stars with 500 reviews looks like marketing information, looks like fiction. Um, but having an occasional negative review adds credibility, adds authenticity. And this has been studied. This isn't just my opinion. This has been studied extensively. And, you know, you actually want to be in the sweet spot of 4.8 as opposed to five, you know, 4.8, 4.9 is better than five. So if that's the case, when you have an occasional negative, maybe you should just write that person a thank you note for helping your online reputation in ways that they had not anticipated. But let me tell you what the public is really looking for when you get the negative review. They're not looking to identify that you're never going to have a problem. They're looking to see how you solve problems when you get them. Do you just brush it under the rug? Or do you solve it? And that creates an opportunity to solve the patient's problem. And to the extent you solve it, you can then, you know, potentially post a response online, uh, which addresses how you solve the problem. Now, you got, need to take into account HIPAA and things of that nature. But by and large, when a patient has a problem, most of the time they're looking to have that problem solved. So if you can solve the problem, wonderful. Then ultimately, either the patient can update the review or you can post a response keeping, you know, HIP in mind so that you don't um, reveal um, or disclose, and you know, any protected health information without the patient's permission. So when you're talking about these getting posted, where, where are they getting posted? How, do, how, does that, how does that work mechanically? So mechanically, the reviews um, get captured on the iPad in the office and then ultimately get shuttled to the online review sites. So... There are a number of healthcare-related sites, some business-related sites, so the reviews ultimately go straight there. The patient doesn't really need to take any additional action. They're just asking the questions that are mapped onto the, um, the survey. These are the questions that the, that the rating sites ha um, are asking, and the combination ultimately works its way up to these review sites. Okay. Now, <clears throat> there are some, I've seen some groups out there that advocate filtering of reviews to to make the practice look better we're going to pull out some some negative uh reviews what what are your thoughts on on that practice yeah well when we launched uh, emerit in 2011 we said all reviews go up the good the bad and the ugly we do not filter reviews so i'm not a fan of filtering reviews and i think over time our philosophy has been proven right look the truth is that we've we've uploaded probably 300,000 reviews. So we know that if you've got a solid practice, the vast majority of your reviews will be positive. So you don't really have much to worry about. You know, if you're just looking to have your rep reputation whitewashed, you do have a lot of work uh, on your hands, but you just, you just need to fix your practice. But the problems with um, filtering reviews are twofold. <clears throat> One is that Google, has frown Google frowns upon it. So if they see that you are doing what are called gating reviews, you likely will be dinged by Google. In fact, they just updated their, their um, I guess, terms of use uh, to suggest that if you are gating reviews, um, that's considered um, against their um, terms. And my guess is if you violate the terms of use, Google will find a way to make your life um, less pleasant. 
but no less important, um, there are rules associated with marketing and advertising with the Board of Medicine, and they suggest that reviews, well, they suggest that marketing and advertising cannot be false or deceptive, and if all you're doing is, you know, putting up the good stuff on third-party sites and filtering the rest so the public can't get a full picture, arguably, that would be considered a violation of you know, the code of conduct the Board of Medicine expects, which could lead to a violation. Now, the question is, how would the board ever find out about it? Well, you know, sometimes they find out about other things and learn about your practice, then pile on. Or it could be a disgruntled employee or a competitor. It doesn't take much for the board to get wind of you engaging in various techniques that don't dovetail with their rules and regulations. So, our guiding philosophy has been don't don't filter reviews, don't gate reviews. You should query as many patients as possible. Yes, you will get an occasional negative, but you've got an opportunity to either fix the problem and or you know respond to the um, to the allegation, and that generally is adequate to get the job done. So, <clears throat> part of what what you mentioned was specifically boards of medicine rules, which seems to me to, to bring up a word of caution I'd, I'd like to, to toss out there before the next question, and that is if someone is working with a, a service such as is, is eMerit or, or, or one of your competitors, they need to make sure to find somebody that is in the, the medical space because this is not the same thing as reviewing restaurants or plumbers, right? I mean, we've got a separate area here that is a separate profession that whoever's helping you needs to know the, the rules of the road. Would you, you agree with that? I would. Healthcare is a unique beast, heavily regulated. Um, healthcare and the financial industry are the two large, largest regulated fields uh, in the country. And if you get it wrong, you can pay a steep price with the Board of Medicine or any other of the alphabet uh, you know, agencies that are out there that have an interest in making sure the public isn't harmed. All right. So, where do you see the the world of of online reviews and online reputations for for medical practices and physicians? Where do you see this headed? What what should we look for in the future? I think it's a growth industry. Um, when we first, well, actually, um, our baseline data suggests that t today, 25% of patients find their doctor initially on the internet. So when I started practice, <clears throat> there was no online uh, referral system. You, you, patients mostly found out about a doctor by another doctor or friends and family or former patients or by going to the ER. That really was how they found the doctor. But today, at least one out of four patients initially find the doctor on the Internet. And uh, for patients who find the doctor the traditional way, patients are still going to the internet to validate that decision. So almost everybody is doing some homework online. And <clears throat> unless you um, have a monopoly in a particular location where you have zero competition, you really cannot ignore the internet. If you want a healthy practice, if you want a vibrant practice, <clears throat> if you want a growing practice, new patient volume and new patient revenue, the internet is the easiest way to make that happen. It's the most cost-effective way to grow and sustain a practice. So I don't see online reviews going away. I see them being a larger and more important part of a practice, both in terms of marketing as well as quality improvement.
So I'm a fan. I wasn't a fan initially. I came into this as a skeptic, and only when I did the homework did I become a believer. And for practices that um, embrace the Internet, they have seen the number of patients who initially come from the Internet go from 25% to much higher numbers, some as high as 80 to 90%, capturing new patients not only from their geographic locale, but um, other metro areas, other states, other time zones, indeed other countries. I think it's mostly upside. It does sound like a powerful opportunity for, for medical uh, practices. Um, I, would I will give you, I'll, I'll give you the, uh, the, the last word here. Any uh, tips or suggestions that you could offer listeners um, on online reputation for medical practices and physicians would be greatly appreciated. For those just getting started in their practice, um, focusing on the online world is the fastest way to get a rocket launch and get rolling. You will soon look like a seasoned professional within months of getting started. That includes people who have joined a larger practice. You still need to build your practice. Um, for those who are out there and believe they do a good job, the online world is your friend. Dr. Siegel, thank you so much for your time and information. As we've been speaking with Dr. Jeffrey Siegel of eMerit. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, Mike. So before we wrap up today's episode, let's do the word of the show, shall we? This is your favorite part of the podcast, isn't it? Ooh, do I really have to have just one favorite thing? <laughs> all right, all right. So, so here's here's our word, which frankly is really a term. Here it is: reputation economy. Reputation economy. Wow. Um, let's see. Let me get the definition out here. It's a relatively new term which Macmillan Dictionary defines as an economy in which the reputation of an individual, product, or businesses decided by the judgment of others is their most important asset, period. Um, Mike, will you please decipher this term for me? Because either I haven't had enough coffee um, or that definition, well, it just sounds kind of obtuse to me. <laughs> Help well, me. you you haven't had to suffer through enough uh, economics classes for this one. So the the idea <laughs> here is that um, that the uh, reputation is the one of the most valuable assets in the, in economy. So in the online world, for example, reputation would be uh, be very important, and that's that's where they're going with this term, saying uh, that that asset, your online reputation would be uh, extraordinarily valuable, more so than, than other assets that you have. Oh, I get it. And that makes a lot of sense um, because in today's environment, certainly what people see online about you is um, very important and people are looking for it. Absolutely. And that's really why uh, I selected that term for today's episode. Collecting from patients at the time of service, coding accurately, and leveraging payment technologies are essential elements of the revenue cycle. But implementing and managing these things can be challenging. 
Join us for the next episode of Sound Practice when we talk with internationally recognized practice advisor Karen Zupko, president of Karen Zupko & Associates. Karen will share her insights about industry trends to watch in 2019 and provide practical guidance for making sure your team is optimized to do the right things at the right time using the right tools. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you get your podcasts or listen to episodes at soundpracticepodcast.com. I am a big fan of Benjamin Franklin. Oh, me too. He was very witty, um, but he's also been dead for over 200 years. So tell me where you're headed with this, Mike. Okay. Sadly, Ben has been uh, gone for quite some some time, but he left us with a lot of good quotes, Dothy. And and one of my favorites is that uh, it takes many good deeds to build a good reputation, but only one bad one to lose it. Oh, yeah, that is very true. And I would say online reputation has never been more important when it comes to thinking about building a good reputation. It, you know, the online portion of that and how people perceive you there has never been more important. So practices yeah. need to be concerned with how they are seen on the internet, yeah? Mm, agreed. And with a little uh, effort, a practice can mobilize happy patients to promote its online reputation. Uh, Tothi, you get the last word. Uh, well, I would say that online reputation is too important to ignore. So practices should pay attention to it and prioritize online reputation management. And with that, that is the end of uh, this episode of Sound Practice. Thanks for listening. If you liked our show, please rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to check the show notes and join us for our next episode. We drop one on you every other Wednesday. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and practice leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions about future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at Green Branch Publishing. For the best in practice management, journals, books, newsletters, and on-demand programming for physicians and practice executives, visit greenbranch.com. Robin, Red Book of Power.